If you're enjoying the show, I want to ask the favor that you rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts. Also, it's been a while since I've mentioned that on Facebook, if you search No Such Thing Podcast, you can like our page and contribute to the conversation there, starting with the brief listener questionnaire that helps me understand who you are beyond the anonymized analytics. On to the episode. You may be having a similar experience to my own where when I ask my kids about what they miss from their non-COVID schedule, they talk a lot about after school. Sometimes I make the mistake of thinking that it goes without saying at this point, but it doesn't, that out of school time and the professionals who support learners beyond the school bell are absolutely critical in the special sauce of caring for your kids. If you haven't yet, reach out and find out how you can support your local programs. Give a high five to the education professionals, many of whom are spending a lot more time with your kids than their teachers are. Boys and Girls Clubs of America, BGCA for short, is an iconic brand, and for good reason. It serves more than 4 million students through its federated network of clubs all over the country. And my guest is the National Organization's Director of Product. Senior Director for Product Strategy at Boys and Girls Clubs of America. What that means is that I both help to understand how we can synchronize our products with what the field needs, our products being uh, the various things across the curriculum uh, and staff support space for direct service. And then also think about digital and how we can bring digital to bear on how staff can do their job better and about how we can enhance youth experience through digital as well. Uh, what that means in uh, the, the time of COVID is, is that um, uh, I've been helping clubs to outline their approach to virtual delivery of their club experience and instigating all sorts of interesting experiments to see what we can learn through their work. Uh, so really driving clubs forward to think about innovating their models. Dave says a lot of clubs are carrying on with dance parties over TikTok. He also says that first reactions weren't digital at all, but getting family sidewalk chalk and things to do. And I'm sure in the coming months, as we're all wondering what a more virtual life will look and feel like, smart people like Dave will help to figure out what comes after we stop trying to duplicate our existing paradigms like school and after school in virtual platforms with middling satisfaction or after great examples like the one I'm about to play where an adult offers some time to read a book to kids in their local community. If you have ideas about what comes next, I hope you'll chime in on the Facebook page or find me on Twitter. Enjoy the talk. This is No Such Thing, a podcast about learning in the digital age. I'm Mark Lesser. Hello, my name is DJ Hilson, Muskegon County Prosecutor, and the uh, have the pleasure of serving as president of the board of the Muskegon Boys and Girls Club. Today I'm going to read you a book called If You Take a Mouse to the Movies. If You Take a Mouse to the Movies... He'll ask you for some popcorn. When you give him the popcorn, what's what's the what's the chatter right now at, at BGCA? So BGCA, as a shorthand, um, folks may not know, but is um, Boys and Girls Clubs of America. And um, I want to I want to talk in a minute about um, how that I don't I, I think everybody. Likely everybody who listens to this recognizes the brand uh, Boys and Girls Clubs. Um, it is an institution, an iconic institution, um, I would say, in in this country. Um, and I want to hear more about it from just from your point of view. But but the first thing I just wanted to ask you is what's the what's the buzz at BGCA? What are you guys talking about um, when you get on? When you get on your first Zoom call for the day, what's the first uh, seven minutes of chatter among you all um, as you're awaiting news about what's on the horizon? Um, what's on your mind? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, let me sort of break that into two pieces. Um, just so for further background understanding, 
the the way that Boys and Girls Clubs of America is organized and the way clubs are organized is as a federated, uh, rather we have a federated model. It's a federation. And so what that means is that there are 1,200 different nonprofit organizations that collectively run about 4,700 clubs. Um, and those clubhouses are spread all around the country and on military bases abroad. And so it has an enormous breadth. And so when you you talk about the chatter, there are sort of two senses to the chatter. One is the chatter that we have internally at BGCA, and then there is a separate chatter that's going on amongst clubs that we're really looped into now, perhaps more looped into in many ways than ever before. And so I think overall, the chatter is one of aspiration. This is aspiration at the national level, and it's aspiration at the local level, if there was a common theme. And the aspiration over the past week has really taken a turn for understanding how we can eradicate, honestly, the systemic um, prejudices we have within society. And it's, it has been a challenging conversation in that aspect. And that's all wrapped in the context of the chatter about how we can help clubs pull through the social distancing measures that have been introduced through COVID. Mm. So it's like a capsule within a capsule. Um, and on the club side, um, the chatter has really been one of wanting to do the good work they've done. Um, and so there's an extremely vibrant Facebook community they're engaged in. And, and largely people are both asking about things that really get youth engaged in a distance context and sharing what they're doing, uh, sharing the really cool things they're doing to, to engage youth, like virtual field trips or um, building obstacle courses outside and hmm. challenging kids to complete those. So And so it's the sort of twofold chatter of understanding how we can keep kids engaged and more recently understanding how we can continue to play a substantial role in uh, bringing equity to youth and, and others across the country. Yeah. I think you, you described it as a capsule within a capsule, which is fascinating because I, I think a lot of people right now um, feel daunted by where to start with that, that uh, the uh, capsule onion. Um, <laughs> like where do, you, where do you even start to break that apart? And I wonder um, – it's. It, I wouldn't. I wouldn't um, ask you the question as if you have um, answers at BGCA for what comes first. But um, I wonder: is there an approach you all are using for how to break that apart um, in a meaningful way? Uh, just, just sort of. How do you plan next steps? What, what, um, what priorities are sort of guiding that? Absolutely. There, there's a lot to that question, and so I would say. You know, the first piece of that was wh where do you start? And the answer is you start by starting, I think. Mm. Uh, and that's where we've seen the most success. Um, organizations that immediately dove into, for instance, responding to the uh, closures, uh, the COVID closures, um, by instantly engaging their parents and their youth in some way have been successful. And, and so what they have done is to um, immediately begin food deliveries, immediately begin contacting parents and connecting with young people through those parents in, in ways that are safe. Um, and over time, very much like the tech sector uh, applies, they have had to iterate rapidly mm. their practices for outreach to maximize their reach to parents and maximize their engagement of youth. And so and so the answer to that big question is, you know, you start by starting by doing something. And it's the same for the, the um, rights challenges we have today. That, you know, the staff start by having challenging conversations and be willing to wade into that and then sort of iterating to figure out what works best along the way, all the while seeking out great resources and training. Um, as far as prioritization goes, the, the situation has been evolving uh, rapidly in some ways. And, and thankfully, we're out of the daily iterations that we've had at the very beginning in March. Um, it was a stressful time. We're now into this interesting period as we get towards summer of two things happening. One, I think the flux between open and closed is beginning to shift and how mm -hmm. people think about that, both at a consumption level and at a service offering level. And so more people are now open to going to physical places for experiences 
And on the other end, more facilities are getting the guidance they need to reopen. And so we've seen roughly a doubling of the number of clubs currently providing in-person services at clubs. Really? And so we have this sort of opening of society. We have about, we have 4,700 clubs, about 3,100 plus are offering virtual services. And when, um, about March 15th, when things really started closing, the number of clubs offering services in person dropped to, I don't know, a few hundred and has since you know, reached just about a thousand. And so we've really, we're beginning this sort of reopening process. The other thing that we're going through though, and the other, the other, again, we have more pivot time here. The other exploration that we all have is what school is going to look like in the fall. And that's going to impact how many of us think about offering services. Um, And, and so out of school time programs have large questions, especially as schools are thinking about flipping those days. Um, on and off, depending on the, on the district, and other kinds of service providers like curriculum providers or product providers, um, financial literacy education being an example of that, hmm. uh, providers will have to think about how they fit into that context of a flip day, but still offer value to schools, to families, and youth. And so I think as we talk about priorities within uh, that, you know, clubs are A, having to prioritize their summer, and then yeah. B, having to prioritize how they think about offering the most compelling services, both in person and virtually for the fall. Yeah. And there's so much up in the air, right? They, they may not um, actually have good answers for what the fall is going to look like until we're pretty close to fall. So um, I would imagine that uh, I would imagine that everyone is just sort of um, – you know, plan in in similar boats in that we're planning for multiple scenarios, um, trying to take care of our our people um, and help everybody feel like they have what they need to spring into action, whatever that looks like in the in the fall. Tell me about um, you are um, the tip of the spear for a particular initiative uh, or set of initiatives at uh, BGCA that are digital. Um, And it feels like um, with all that's going on, I can't imagine that what staff need in terms of training and just sort of thinking about digital experiences and and all this um, has changed for you what has that looked like the last few months? I mean, how how um, how does <laughs> how do you how do you so rapidly scale for that that issue and then um, help bring folks along with the opportunity in that? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, to your point, there was a rapid shift. I'll you know quickly characterize sort of where we were pre-COVID. You know, like March thirteenth. And, and where we were March 14th or yeah. so, um, you know, over the past many years, um, Boys and Girls Clubs of America has been really working to um, expand how club leaders and club staff think about technology. And there were three angles to that. And the most basic of those was policy. Mm. Um, and so, for instance, how, how and would youth be able to use their devices within club walls or how and could use safely use social media within club walls and mm. you know, really fundamental policy questions and safety questions. Um, the second was integration. And so what did it look like to bring uh, educational technology into an out of school time experience that's really deeply physical, right? Young people go to Go yes. to institutions because there are these beautiful, I mean, they're really gorgeous places for kids to interact, games, rooms, and gyms, and so on. And so it's this, it's this, it's this beautiful physicality that clubs have to it. It's like yeah. how does it layer into that? Um, <clears throat> and then to your point, training um, and training uh, prior to you know March thirteenth was 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 traditional. Uh, was training delivered in person? Was training delivered? Um, online and um, had a certain cadence to it, but also a certain um, a certain layout and format that was relatively fixed. And then, of course, you know, COVID happened, and I, I think something 
there was an opportunity in that challenge, and the opportunity was to move from, uh, you know, this sort of overall um, waterfall approach to rolling things out to suddenly an, like an hourly agile iteration mm, mm. Um, and and daily. And so, uh, you know, club leaders and club staff instantly recognized that they had to do something different, and so very quickly rolled out um, and worked to roll out. Uh, digital tools they would have never used. So social media, for instance, is the main set of, uh, rather the main set of tools that club staff are using to reach youth are those social media tools, are mm -hmm. those Facebooks and Instagrams and TikToks. Um, and, and BGCA's challenge now has flipped. Now we are trying to help club leaders use those tools as safely as possible and, and candidly, ideally recommending they don't use them, but also understanding that they use, that youth are there. And so struggling through the, the way that we can recommend those tools safely or even just you know help clubs use those tools safely. Right. So policy level now, we've had to undergo a shift and are exploring that shift. Um, the uh, program level as well has really evolved. And so we've launched a vast quantity of in-person experiential programming hmm. uh, can be facilitated by club staff through our My Future platform, myfuture.net, which itself, um, huge kudos to the My Future team, really, um, Shang and, and her group there, who have ramped up their own output from, you know, like two-week sprints to <laughs> almost daily sprints on content and other mm -hmm. aspects to meet the need of club staff. And then, and then finally, the training has been really fascinating. And I think something that's a great takeaway is that in part, the need of deli service delivery, um, or rather individuals uh, responsible for service delivery is in part met through formal training. And that can structure some of the formal understanding, but we're in a place and a time when the need is truly ongoing. And so what we found to be hugely helpful uh, are actually just daily open office hours that have been running since March. And mm. I've been leading these. I, I, thousands of people have joined these. And the idea is that initially I was holding open office hours daily and then three times a week, twice a week in May and now once a week in June, that people could just join um, and converse about virtual club. And so large-scale facilitated conversations um, that – club staff could join and if they felt comfortable say talking about and raising topics for others to talk about we would dive into nice. or if they were comfortable chatting about they could and i think that informal context of getting people together on a frequent basis has been as supportive as formal trainings to help people understand how they can best respond and so that's sort of where we are on the angle of rolling out programs and how um, the big vision of delivering virtual experiences fits into those aspects of policy of program and of um, training yeah can can you talk about a couple of prime examples where things have have worked out well and where the opportunity of covid has kind of reared its its face mm. it's great so the youth experience led by clubs that are bringing young people in live and also sending materials home, kits and food and so on, has been tremendously, you know, tremendously successful. That can be as fundamental as uh, feeding kids or providing activity kits to families who can't access those kits or live experiences, conversations with club staff in cases when club staff um, can reach out to young people. That has been enormously successful and, you know, su providing support to young people and families that really need those. Um, mm -hmm. And that that's a great role for clubs to play. It's the role they, they play many times. Um, but to your point, there are opportunities. And I think there are a few of those. Um, the first opportunity is for uh, technology providers. Um, one thing that this experience has really brought to bear, Mark, is is something that that I know you and I have talked about quite a lot in the past, and that is the digital divide. Yeah. Um, for a few years there, it seemed like we had swept that divide under the rug and thought it eradicated, you know, in the sort of in the media conversation. 
Um, and COVID has highlighted the fact that that has not happened. Um, many of our young people and um, many families across the United States lack both access to internet and lack the equipment to engage in digital experiences, learning experiences now. And that is a substantial opportunity for service providers of all walks and honestly businesses of other kinds. For instance, if they have equipment to donate to their communities, there is an enormous opportunity there for people to grasp. Um, a second opportunity is for uh, service providers uh, like out of school time organizations or content providers. Um, and, and that is that the opportunity is not content, right? And, and so the easy, the easy thing for, do is, you know, for people to do is build more stuff to distribute. Mm -hmm. Parents have way too much stuff. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. They have way too much stuff, but parents have a problem. And, and parents' problem, particularly if they're working from home, but also if they're not, is that their kids are at home and not at school. And if their kids are at home, even in school part of the day or going to a virtual summer camp for some of the day, they need something to do. And so the opportunity is for providers to provide really interesting, compelling experiences to kids. And an experience is different than content. Content fits into an experience, but an experience is that mediated conversation that adults or you know uh, youth leaders have with young people, right? And so if we were to dive in and play Dungeons and Dragons online, mm -hmm. that's an experience. We can fit some content into that but the experience is what's going to bring you back. It's mm -hmm. that conversation. And so I think providers have this wonderful opportunity to engage young people, um, really build interest in young people to join these experiences that, that content providers can fit pro-social, positive educational support into. The final opportunity fits within that in that is schools and school leaders are really looking for solutions that will help alleviate the learning loss that's going on right now. Yeah. And so uh, there's a great opportunity for people to work that content in and then build relationships between the schools and other kinds of organizations to meet that need. So I think those are three great opportunities that have come out. Um, I don't want to say that they have come out of this and, and this is that that overcomes the, the challenge by COVID. But certainly there are lots of opportunities in the challenge. Yeah. Tell me about an example, um, you know, two examples maybe that, that describe the spectrum of um, really neat things that you're hearing about how clubs are um, either through digital means um, sort of taking advantage of this moment and, and making the most of it um, – and on the other end of the spectrum, um, you know, have, are there examples at the top of mind where students are just being uh, or communities are being crushed by that divide that you talk about? Uh, sure. So, so, you know, one example, um, and I love these, is we've, we've had a spate of dance parties. It's almost like a like, like a. Um, uh, a wildfire of dance parties. I don't know. There's a, there's an adjective there, but it, um, we, uh, I think it's a gaggle, a gaggle, a gaggle. <laughs> yes, a gaggle, a gaggle of dance parties. A so, flock. um, <laughs> a flock, uh, you know, we, um, uh, clubs started, uh, TikTok dance parties with kids and that would, you know, bring kids in and, and, and have them, um, interact together either, you know, live through Zoom or other means or by posting dances in response to dances. And, and these have been wildly popular and super cool because they're digital, but they get kids up and moving, which is something we all want, right? We're all in front of computers a lot these days. And so these dance parties have taken off. They um, were posted uh, to uh, the youth development Facebook group um, that, that acts to bring people together here. And then other people mimic that and said, we're going to do our own. Um, they're called quarantine parties. Uh, so those have been really cool to watch. There's lots of enthusiasm and lots of positivity, um, really embodying what we hope um, and how we hope club staff can um, support youth now, right? Let's like let's keep positive and just do cool stuff. So, so um, can I just ask about that real quick? Sure. Before you before you move on, um, so so how does people? Um, let's describe how this works for people a little bit. So not everybody is familiar with TikTok. Um, I have described TikTok in the past as like Twitter and YouTube have a baby. Um, 
it essentially um, TikTok is a um, it is a space of sharing, right? It's a space of video as a medium. Um, and there's functionality in the platform that helps you connect to not only your friends the way that um, Twitter or Facebook does, but also um, by tagging the things that you're doing, also connecting to the things other people are doing. So if it's a particular dance you're doing, you can pull up you know, people all around the world doing this dance. So in a club setting – how is one of these quarantine parties working? It's a youth development professional um, at a club. Do they start the party? Great. Yeah. Uh, thanks for elaborating on this. Yes. So they would start the party. They basically will post a video of a dance, right? And they'll say sort of mimic my dance. Let's let's riff on this. Right. And so other participants will riff on that. And to your point, reshare this sort of video Twitter-like thing that others can then respond to and, and riff on. Um, and so it's a, it's a bit of an asynchronous experience in that way. Um, and so that's one method. Um, the other method is live. And so zoom based dance parties with a DJ. Uh, And so people will take turns sort of DJing the music for that. Um, and then teens will just join and dance in the background. Um, so, Asynchronous and synchronous, slightly different experiences there, um, but we see all of the above sort of branded as these uh, as these quarantine parties. Okay, let's um, just quickly for uh, you know one of one of the phenomena of this whole um, situation that we're in is that there are a lot of words being um, thrown around that people may not be familiar with. So the idea of synchronous versus asynchronous learning. Um, one is happening in real time together. Um, asynchronous learning is happening. Um, I'm trying to think of really good. I've used um, the the Exquisite Corpse project before as a great model for how asynchronous works. If people know that, but um, uh, essentially it means not together, but still um, cooperatively. So, um, Dave, what's an example of a great asynchronous learning environment? Um, typically, I'd point to something like edX or Coursera that are right. uh, that provide content that people can consume in lesson format, but at will, so when they need it. Yep. Um, and so, for instance, even watch video of a lecture, but when they need it. And so, asynchronous means that people are logging on when there is time to consume something and post something as opposed to logging in together, which would be synchronous and experiencing something at the same time. Like we are right now. Exactly. So, okay. So, so you were going to maybe pivot to another example, um, maybe the other end of the spectrum where things are, are just not working. Yeah. And, and I, I wanted to take a second to um, add a little hope here in a way. Uh, I mean, I think there's a lot of hope, so I don't want to say we don't. But I mean, let's let's add a little hope into this because I think there's an assumption that sort of digital real-time conversations are the thing we all have to do. Mm-hmm. And that's like the gold standard and the best. And so in areas where there are challenges, where there's disconnectivity, um, then, you know, it's, it's not the best. I think the reality is that our key, our goal is to support young people wherever they are. And so we see beauty across the spectrum. We see beautiful things happening in live, um, conversations. We see them happening as people can catch them that asynchronous Hmm. and we see beauty in the digital and we see beauty in the physical, right? And so, um, you know, a great example of, of beauty in the physical is clubs distributing chalk so kids can make their ob- chalk obstacle courses outside their house for themselves to play with, but also anyone who walks by their nice. house nice. to, to just jump through, right? So the simple version of that is, uh, you know, a hopscotch square, right, that you come across on the sidewalk as you're walking down, down a street. 
Um, other examples, uh, which I think are just fantastic, are, are um, clubs distributing that same chalk so that kids can write messages of hope around a town. Yep. And we see this here in um, Arlington. We actually have a bunch of rocks that people are leaving all over the place with cool messages. Mm. So I think you know, one layer to it is that digital and non-digital don't necessarily equate to quality. Instead, it's how hard people are trying across that spectrum to bring aspiration, hope, positivity, and good things to um, the audiences they serve. Yeah. So that said, your question is, you know, where are things not working? Um, I think things are challenged when, uh, for whatever organization, schools, after schools, companies, when people have been laid off and the staff is very small and uh, there are regions of disconnectivity. Mm. And so I think there are, there are regions of this country, uh, particularly the, those regions that are um, perhaps less resourced with, you know, uh, fi financially resourced and have more workers in tenuous sort of hourly situations that are, you know, themselves tenuous jobs. In those regions, I think we have challenges and we really have to look at those spaces to understand how we can support them because you have few people with the time and the resources to help out a community that's largely disconnected and really worried about other things. Mm. And I think that's the space where we really need to be driving our understanding about how we can help um, bring hope to those to those communities. Right. How is how is if if they are um, this is a really hard thing to do so if they're they're not i would not be surprised but if they are how is bgca looking at um who's connected and who's not yes um so we we don't have data at, we have wanted data we don't have data at the youth level about connectivity um digital connectivity um we have some data at the club level um but like so many so many of us, you know, we've been reliant on the FCC data sources, hmm. which we know based on um, some Microsoft resource to be flawed for the fundamental reason that digital uh, connectivity has been reported at the FCC level as um, providers have been reporting at least one connection, I believe it's within a county, right? And so if you're reporting, if you're, uh, if you're a service provider and you you have one household in one in in the county that could theoretically connect to you, then that county is is counted as connected, and that's the best data we've had. So the reality is, a lot of people don't don't fit within that. Um, what we have been doing internally to solve that is is to have multi-year conversations with service providers to get that access out there. Um, we know that those conversations are best had at a local level, though, because the local organizations know the sort of patina of connectivity at the youth level. Mm. And so uh, I'm sorry, yeah, there is no easy answer to your question. Suffice to say that I think the COVID situation has really brought disconnectivity to the forefront. And I sincerely hope that people take note of that, both at the provider level and at the federal level. It's a problem we've been working on for how long now? Three decades, uh, at least. Yeah, I was going to say since since uh, 1920. But <laughs> years might be might be short. It might be more like 2,000 years. I don't know. Uh, that's profound. Um, so um, I want to get into the tech specifically that y'all have been working on a little bit. Um, tell me what you're most excited about. Yeah, so uh, the largest pieces of technology we have are our investments in something called the My Future platform, it's myfuture.net. And uh, prior to COVID, it was a platform utilized by club staff and by youth to work on club activities within club walls. Mm. Uh, those walls have been eradicated with COVID. We have thousands of young people engaged in uh, completing activities and, and really just getting engaged in the Boys and Girls Club community, which is the bigger idea of the platform, uh, at home. And so a couple things, you know, really give me heart. One is that there is a demand and a desire to do cool things at home. And I think we all have the opportunity to deliver on that. Two is, you know, internally, we've been learning a lot about 
digital delivery, which is where we we all have to go. Many of us are out there already. And so if other people are listening, you maybe have been delivering materials digitally for 10 years now, but older organizations are catching up. And BGCA was founded in the 1860s. And so we are, believe you me, catching up to that. Mm. Uh, we've had to ramp up our, our production pipelines substantially. And that's really exciting because it means we can respond to what youth and staff need uh, quickly, as opposed to going through a long cycle production. So that excites me. It's a little bit of a, of a product geek thing, but, but that's cool. Um, the final is that we're really beginning to listen. We're listening much more rather to what uh, families and youth need and want and club staff. And so traditionally um, families and youth were, were at a bit of a distance from what we did because we delivered a club staff and this has brought us much closer to that audience as well. Um, and so we see these shifts and that excites me. And I think it's something that, again, all of us have to think about is, you know, how do we really very frequently listen to what parents and young people need and want at a time when their needs and wants are shifting very quickly? Yeah. Uh, so let's do more of that. And how do how do. um with the launch of um, of myfuture.net, how how do analytics look? Like, what can you um, what can you glean from how stuff is being used so far? Absolutely. So we, um, I think, like many people, we saw a shock, sort of a, a a very quick drop in a shock, right around the time of of COVID. I think there was enormous uncertainty, and the data really show us that uncertainty. Um, what we have learned since then, and this is moving from that quantitative data to the qualitative data, is that people are excited about the possibility of what technology platforms can bring mm -hmm. in a few ways. Um, one is that people are really looking for interactivity uh, and, and valuable conversations. And so technology platforms like my future, but others can support those conversations and support those interactions. We see that in esports. We see that on the My Future platform. We see that in other places. And so that's one thing that we're really getting out of it. Um, the data also show that people, after that initial shock, people are really coming back. And they're, they, have, they are figuring out how to make the things they have learned about really work for them in the long term, right? Yep. And so it's more than this short-term short -term solution. It's like, how do we fit this thing in the long term? And so... Educational technologies writ large, other than the ones that people immediately respond to, you know, jump to, um, are beginning to hit into the planning side, uh, be encapsulated into the planning cycles that club staff and others are using. And so really beginning to take off in, in that way. Yeah. So, so good news all around in those analytics, both quantitative and qualitative. Yeah, I was um, so I uh, one of the things that you shared with me before we um, jumped on, it's the uh, Muskegon Lakeshore Boys and Girls Club. Um, and I was watching um, I was watching <clears throat> excuse me, I was watching um, the story time uh, at the bottom of that that club's page, a uh, local official, uh, I think he's the county prosecutor, re reading stories to students. Yes. Um, you know, I, there's something, um, there's something hopeful there, right? Um, there are a lot of folks in the community who may or may not have been involved with um, youth enrichment and, and support in that way. Previously, some of them have, but maybe have more time for it. What is what is the the next generation of participation for that volunteer, that mentor who wants to come to a club, have a role in young people's lives um, beyond uh, you know having their their kid hold a cell phone and read a storybook? Um, there are really interesting models out there. I wonder, though, what just as a technologist and somebody who thinks a lot about the future, um, which I know from many, many conversations you and I have had, what do you think about that? What's next? Yeah, I love the question. So my uh, my hope around technology-mediated youth development really is grounded 
upon um, some of the the observations, the um, eth- the ethnographic observations I did, um, well, well in uh, graduate school at Harvard, and and that was like you know 120 years ago now. Uh, <laughs> that was it was back in 2004 in this case, um, and and. And those observations were of um, were of an esports uh, team. It was actually at the time called a gaming clan, and I'm not even sure if gaming clan is still the terminology people use for gaming clans. Mm-hmm. Uh, but basically, it was a group of players who um, played together uh, uh, at the time. And um, and what I found so compelling about what they did is that the gaming clan, so gaming clans are self-organized. That means that people um, from all around the world join groups based on whatever criteria they feel like they have at the day, right? And and so they might just think it's a cool group to join. They might like the name. They might have met some of the players playing other games, but they join these social groups online and participate. And these social groups are, are multi-aged. Um, and so that particular clan that I, that I followed had young people as young as about 10 or 12 and had, old, you know, people who were up into their 50s spread all around, all around the world. And they developed a very natural mentorship model to them. It was extremely facile. It meant that the older people um, wouldn't let the younger people play, the kids in school play, if their grades were not good. And... Um, and so, uh, and, and spent time tutoring the younger people in math, um, in particular, there were two people who really needed help with math. And so I looked to that social structure and I say, how do we replicate that? I honestly, I don't care about modality, like VR, super cool, very people, you know, few people use it. We have video chat. That's really great. That's a modality. We have online conversations and discussion forums. That's a modality. Um, in general, live works well, right? Uh, so think technologies that are live are really the place to go. Um, but that social interaction is something I think we have to figure out how to replicate in the youth development and education sector more broadly. Mm. How do we build these organic mentor-facilitated conversations around things that youth love to do whether it's play games, uh, play esports, play you know knit, um, play music. How do we build these strong interest-led communities that have professional facilitation, but that doesn't seem overly professional, right? So not clinical, organic, um, but still strong um, mentorship nonetheless. Um, and so, like you know, I think I look to that structure, which is relatively unchanging over the history of humanity, the sort of mentorship structure, um, and then look at technologies that can apply that. And you know, whether it's VR or um, or just a live chat room or a Zoom hangout, I think they all can. What we really have to look at there is spread and access. Um, so if we're if we're deeply committed to not just reaching the wealthy. We really have to figure out, A, how to connect all those people who are disconnected, like we just discussed, and then, and or B, um, figure out how to get devices into the hands of young people so they can join these experiences. So I think the tip of the spear in terms of, of technology is less about the coolness and the cutting edgeness of the technology instead about the broadness of the solution and how many young people we can reach. I would think us having a landing on the moon moment if everybody in the U.S. could access the internet and have devices to get them there safely. No. That would be landing on the moon for me, right? Uh, I would also love the coolest VR solution and also, you know, a 3D immersive uh, Star Trek-style transporter, but I would (laughs) if everyone could just access the internet. Um, So I think I I looked to that aspiration. Who, Who wants to? Yes, exactly. I looked at that aspiration of like access and then uh, something that builds on those social components of of organic mentorship to really imagine the future of what what online learning could look like in, in sort of the out of school time space. Yeah. Before we go, Dave, I wanted to give people a sense of the role that um, BGCA and um, 
strong networks of out of school experiences have in the lives of young people in this country. Because I think a lot of times, um, and no exception these last few months, people have been so caught up in what school is going to look like. When I talk to my kids about what they miss, um, they mostly talk about after school. Um, They miss the connections they have there. They miss um, the mentors there. They miss the way in which their play is structured um, such that they're balancing their own interests with a sort of cooperative spirit of getting something done or putting something into the world. Um, There are all of these – all of these things. And um, I just want to – I want to – Encourage everyone to be thinking about how you can support uh, youth workers, youth development professionals, um, folks around you who are probably not protected by the safety net of you know being in a teachers union or or other things, and being supported instead by models like boys and girls clubs, uh, YMCA, etc. Just off the top of your head, because I know you've presented on on what role BGCA plays in the lives of families, um, can you just tell us a little bit about that footprint and what role um, the this federated model sees having uh, in the lives of young people? Absolutely, I think there's a there's no better there's no better way to put it than then clubs are a sea change in 4 million young people's lives every year. That's huge. Um, and if you expand that to say other after-school providers, YMCAs and, and 4-Hs and so on, I mean, you're talking about what a majority of young people in the country in some way, shape or form are engaged by these out of school time organizations yeah. uh, in really, really profound ways. Fundamentally, uh, out of school time organizations like boys and girls clubs provide a real positive place for young people to go, right? You know, a place where you walk in the door and get a high five. You feel good when you go to a boys and girls club. And that's Mm -hmm. really, really fundamental to thriving as a young person. Beyond that clubs provide, um, everything from academic support to, a place to learn how to positively engage peers, to a place to learn how to be a good person, character, build build character, um, understand the role in society, and understand how to volunteer and give back. And so I, I don't even think it's quantifiable. You can't say, you know, <laughs> you can say four million people go to a club, and you know there are much lower incidences of of um, you know behavior incidences of, among people amongst um, participants of clubs. But I think that even downplays the role that that clubs and other out-of-school time organizations have. I think if people look around them and they see good things happening, they can say those good things can be attributed to all the wonderful experiences they had when when those kids were youth and had positive role models in their lives. Um, and there are so many of those good things that happen every day, you know. And and they're little. Uh, it could be someone picking up a wallet when it's dropped on the ground and giving it back or holding a door, um, the kind of role that out-of-school time organizations play in that positive modeling just can't be downplayed. It helps our society keep together. And so, Mark, I know that's even broader than maybe what you were looking for, but I think we need a civic fabric to our country, and out-of-school time organizations play such a deeply huge role to building that social cultural fabric in our country and keeping things positive that, that it just can't be downplayed. Hmm. And so I, I think to your point now is more important than ever to keep the, the resources, the support, the words of encouragement, honestly, finances um, flowing to out of school organizations of all kinds, particularly as they're feeling out their role in the fall. Um, out-of-school time organizations can and will thrive when schools are engaged in some kind of, you know, funky school model that we're all figuring out. 
Um, but still more than ever, those organizations need your thoughts. They need your support and, and resources to keep doing the great work they do. Right. What are, um, just to, to, I want to give you a sec to point people to resources, either, um, you know, certainly, uh, bgca.org, I believe, is the website. Is that right? It is, yep. Um, great. You know, first place to go is bgca.org, Boys and Girls Clubs of America's main website. I would say two other resources to check out. One, check out your what your local club is doing. You know, head to that search engine that you prefer, whatever it is, and uh, type in, you know, Boys and Girls Clubs of Blank, where blank is the name of your city or your state or your town. Um, and just check out what they are up to because it's probably really cool. Um, and if you'd like to get involved, you probably can. Um, and then second, uh, the technology platform we're providing, myfuture.net, is at, guess what, myfuture.net. <laughs> Check that out. Um, and that's that's going to be rapidly iterating over the next few months. Um, again, the team is doing some huge design work there and, and launching launching uh, launching every two weeks. So good good things coming there, too. Wonderful. Dave, I thank you for your time and for talking um, wishing you and, and your family, uh, health and, and safety and, and joy where you can find it. Thank you. Uh, you know, words of hope, let us all find some awesome things to do today and, uh, keep our chins up because, uh, good, good things are happening. We just, we just have to surface them daily. Thanks Dave. Absolutely. For more info about advertising with us, sponsoring the show, or if you have story ideas you want to share, Find me on Twitter, at M.A. Lesser. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy. A guest in episode zero, alumni of two bomber nations, Ithaca and the Bronx, New York, and engineer of digital things and fresh beats. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. No such thing is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you, and our show notes can be found at nosuchthingpodcast.org.